It's go time. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble. We are in the midst of the Canadian Football League playoffs and we're happy to have you along for another podcast. I'm Don Charbon along with Heath Graham and before we get into the games that were played on the weekend and the games that are coming along this weekend as the Eastern and Western Finals, let's talk about a couple of the biggest stories that came out of the semifinals. First and foremost, we can't go anywhere without talking about Bo Levi Mitchell. TSN in the post game cut away to the Tiger Cats locker room. Matthew Shinetti was asking him some questions about his experience, etc. But then he came up with a line that kind of sent shockwaves around the Canadian Football League and got everybody thinking, what's happening? He did. And to, to paraphrase, Bo Levi Mitchell basically did not come into the game until the final six and a half minutes. And he made a comment about the being the highest played, being the highest paid player on the team he should be playing, and that his future is is in doubt next year and beyond with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Yes, that's exactly where he went. If you're not playing your highest paid player on the team in a playoff game, I don't foresee myself probably being here, meaning next year. He did say that these are decisions that have to be taken by people that have those decisions to make, and that would be the GM president, which happens to a lot run through Orlando Steinauer. But for the Tiger Cats, you have all this fanfare. You sign Mitchell to a three-year deal, 500000 per season, and you do not start him in a playoff game. Nothing against Matthew Schiltz, although Schiltz – we'll get into it, didn't have the best day at the office. But for Bo Levi Mitchell, what was the thinking of leaving him on the bench? It would boil down to how much has he actually played this season, I, I think would be a big part of it. Yes, you cannot question the pedigree of Bo Levi Mitchell and the success he has had as a starting quarterback in the CFL, but he also had two stints on the six-game injured list this season there's some rust. He was coming off of a season in Calgary where there was questions about his health as well, which led the Stampeders to make the decision that they were going with Jake Mayer as their number one guy. Bo Levi Mitchell then became expendable. And if you look at the body of work in this game in particular, yes, he only played the final six and a half minutes, but he was not very effective even in that. He was put in a tough spot in trying to lead them back from a two-score deficit late in the game but he completed one pass and threw an interception. So I don't know what he showed that would have swayed a lot of people to think that he should have been the number one guy in this game. At 638 to go in the fourth quarter, when he does come in, it, as you make mention, he is in a very difficult situation. But to be fair to him, the Alouettes now are literally calling pressure or blitzes on every play because the Tiger Cats are not going to be running the football anymore. So Montreal doesn't have to worry about maybe a third to a half of the Hamilton playbook. That makes it very difficult for 
anybody coming into a situation. Now you're on the road, which is another compounding element. And you're right. He hasn't had that much playing time. So he doesn't get a chance to even work his way into the game. He's either do it now or we're done. And I just don't think that was completely fair. The way that Steinhauer had kind of danced around the question about playing two quarterbacks, who was going to be a starter, all that kind of stuff, kind of, and I didn't care for it completely. I, I understand you could have some reticence or hesitation about Mitchell because he didn't have the playing time. But at the end of the day, isn't he the guy that you said is your franchise quarterback? He is. And Orlando Steinauer did anoint Matthew Schultz as his number one guy earlier on in the week, but was very open about the fact that you were going to see both quarterbacks in this game. So it was surprising that you watched Schultz struggle for three and a half quarters of the game and, and then really only see Mitchell throw into the wolves at the end. I was expecting more action from Bo Levi Mitchell, if not in the first half, certainly in the third quarter. And for him to be on the sidelines that long in this game didn't help. And and Schiltz was not putting up the numbers to warrant him staying in. You were two scores behind for a lot of this game. If that guy's not getting it done, why not give Bo Levi Mitchell the chance? Throwing him in with six and a half minutes left was not very fair. I, I did criticize his performance with one completion, one interception, but he was put in a very, very difficult situation. Sometimes that magic pays off, but it would have been a better scenario to give him a few more meaningful snaps than that. Absolutely. There, there is a point to anything that you do as a head coach. Typically you're either engendering or responding. And in this case, responding would be getting Mitchell out there to maybe throw a Hail Mary and see if what happens happens and pull this one out. Why not then give him some time to do this and start him at the beginning of the third quarter? Why wait until five-sixths of the game is complete? It doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm curious to see what happens with the Tiger Cats organization in this offseason as well. Is Orlando Steinauer at risk of losing his job as the head coach and and general manager? He, he has a lot of input in this team. They were favorites in 2019. A lot of hype and a lot of promise for this team and has really gone nowhere after losing those back-to-back Grey Cups. I think this is a team that's on the downward slide right now. We'll get into some discipline issues in this game probably later on as well that that are going to uh, going to need to be addressed with the, with the Tiger Cats. I'm wondering if we're going to see some wholesale changes. Well, why wait? Let's get into it. Chris Edwards, he gets into it at the end of the football game. There's literally nothing but kneel downs left in the game. And he goes after Jake Hardy, grabs him by the grill, throws him to the ground. And ensuing is a melee where Jezrin Antwi comes running off the bench from the Alouette side, gives Edwards a bump. But here we go. Edwards has created another scene when really the game was over. There was nothing left to do. 
I have to give a lot of credit to Jason Moss, head coach of the Alouettes in this one. He was very vocal and rightly so with the officials when this was all going on. Edwards gets tossed. Antwi gets tossed. Jason Moss was was basically in the ear of the officials and saying, the Tiger Cats are going home. They've got nothing left to play for. It, if my guys get suspended because of this, it's, it does not look good for the league. Rulin came out today. Edwards is suspended for three games. Seven other players are fined, including Antwi. No further suspensions, which I am 100% in favor of. I think this is the best way to do this because it was really Edwards, the instigator, egging on a team and I think trying to make more things happen. It was a, a very selfish situation and and really there was no penalties in this game up until that point. It was a very, very clean game. And then there was 85 yards and two disqualifications in the final minute. And Edwards is no stranger to end of game or post game altercations. Of course, famously after the East final in 2021, he got into it with some fans. He got a six game suspension that was later reduced to three. I think the league now realizing that not much point going after six probably just said, let's just do the three for the Tiger Cats. It's not a great look. I know Steinauer in an interview later said, This is not what we're about. This is not the type of team we are. That's a great attitude. But you did bring on Chris Edwards and that baggage. You knew what you were getting. 100%. We had talked about this earlier in the season with Chris Edwards, Duke Williams. There was some personalities on that Tiger Cats team. Selfish sideline antics that cause penalties, etc. Both of those players are going to be free agents this offseason. I would be very surprised if either one of them are back with the Tiger Cats. And frankly, I'm not sure if there are many teams out there in the CFL that are going to give these guys another look. Edwards is 30 years old. He's kind of in that prime of his career, but you've got to be able to control your anger. That is a liability when it results in suspensions. For the Montreal Alouettes, you're right. They come away with nobody missing the East final. And that was a major concern for Jason Moss, their head coach, stating categorically to the official that was responsible for that sideline, we didn't start this. I don't want to see our guys missing an East final because of what he started. Ottawa Red Blacks have parted ways with offensive coordinator Kahari Jones. Now, we had talked a lot on this podcast that there seemed to be a disconnect between him and their quarterbacks, especially the rookie quarterback, Dustin Crum. There was. There's some talk now as well that the Red Blacks are not guaranteeing that Jeremiah Mazzoli is going to be the starting quarterback in 2024. I believe Jones and, and Mazzoli were excited to work together. and We hardly saw that come to fruition due to injury. Kahari Jones is taking the fall for this one. We saw some flashes from Dustin Crum. We saw Nick Arbuckle struggle in the efforts that he had with the quarterback position. Not surprising to see Kahari Jones gone from this organization. There's a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of things that that Bob Dice and his crew need to sort out this offseason. And now starting quarterback and offensive coordinator seem to be two big pieces of that. 
The Red Blacks in 2023 were sixth in offensive points per game, tied for seventh in offensive touchdowns. They were last in sacks allowed, net offense, quarterback rating. Not good looks when you want to be a winning football team. Jones, this isn't his first job as an offense coordinator. He had been in British Columbia prior, Montreal. It almost seems to me that Kahari Jones makes a better head coach than maybe a coordinator because he knows how to rally a team. He knows how to get them motivated for a game. And you look what he did with the Alouettes those years. They were the most exciting team on turf. You have to look at this from a situation as well where Bob Dice is now wanting to put his stamp on his coaching staff. Kahari Jones wasn't a Bob Dice hire. We haven't seen him get that opportunity to to make his hires yet because he was moving from an intern position now into the the permanent head coach position. I'm curious to see who the next offensive coordinator for the Red Blacks is. Uh, interesting to watch it over the offseason and see how this plays out. You raise a great point. Who is going to be that person? Because I don't know of anyone out there that is able to relocate from the team that they're on right now. Depending on what happens in Saskatchewan, maybe Kelly Jeffrey becomes available. Beyond that, where do you go? Uh, do you look to Calgary? Uh, most teams will let you sign away a coordinator if it's a move up, i.e. to coach, head coach. Not a lateral move. So Ottawa could be in a bit of a predicament for the short term anyway, trying to figure out who that person could be. You're going to be looking at coaches right now that are in a, a quarterback's coach or a receiver's coach position or an assistant offensive coordinator or something like that. It's going to be pretty unusual for a lateral move, as you say, for an offensive coordinator. And I don't see anybody outside of Saskatchewan right now that is really going to be in that position where they're looking at letting an offensive coordinator go that might be picked up in Ottawa. And the only reason we say that about Saskatchewan is that the Tiger Cats have allowed Scott Milanovic to talk to the Rough Riders about the head coaching position. And if Milanovic does make the move across and the Riders do decide to hire, then most likely he's going to become the offensive coordinator. Where does that leave Kelly Jeffrey? Now, he may not. He may just leave Jeffrey alone. It's hard to say. Uh, contract situation could be the biggest thing. Whether or not uh, Milanovic commands big dollars could be another influencer. He hasn't been hired yet, obviously, so we don't know how this is all going to play out. Jeremy Uday from the Rough Riders had said that his timeline was pretty much near the end of the month. So that puts us post-Grey Cup before we find out what's going on there. That could be a domino. If it falls, then Ottawa is at play in terms of who they can find. And you've got to think that Jeremy O'Day giving that deadline means there are some coaches still active in the playoffs that are going to get some attention as well. Possibly Buck Pierce in Winnipeg, Jordan Maximic in British Columbia. Could be some other guys that are in in the running for a, a head coach position, a couple of guys on that Toronto coaching staff as well. So O'Day can't jump at what's available right now without digging a bit deeper into some of those coaches that are still going, still gunning for a great cup. Second down. Two games in the Canadian football league last Saturday, the Hamilton Tiger Cats went into Montreal to play the Alouettes to start it all off, the Tiger Cats with 
Matthew Schiltz starting the game. Passing-wise, did okay. Accuracy-wise, did okay. Moving the ball down the field, not so much. Tiger Cats find themselves down 14-6 to at halftime and never really climb back into it and lose 27-12. to Interesting, we talk about the quarterbacks. Cody Fajardo only completed two more pass attempts than Matthew Shields on the same number of attempts. So Cody was 15 of 23. Shields was 13 of 23. Big difference in yardage, though, 144 yards for Matthew Shields versus 212 for Cody Fajardo and two touchdown passes. This was a, a game where Cody didn't have to be special. He just had to be smart, and it was a great game for him. He also really moved the ball with his legs with four carries for 62 yards, uh, longest being a 27-yard run. So a, a big game for Cody Fajardo, really managed the game well for the Montreal Alouettes and did just enough to get points on the board and allowed that Montreal defense to take the, over this game, which they did. This game was almost a carbon copy in a lot of ways to the game they played in Hamilton on June 23rd, where the Tiger Cats could get down the field and kick field goals. The Alouettes would get down the field and score touchdowns. And this is exactly how this game played out again, as, as we found out. We did, and we talked a lot last week about Montreal's defense. One guy we didn't mention was Sean Lemon, who joined the Alouettes partway through the season and has made a huge impact. Five tackles and two quarterback sacks in this one. He really snuffed out any rally attempts by the Tiger Cats. Marc-Antoine Decroix, who we did mention last week, we said he can take over the game with interceptions. He got his interception, took control of the game as well. So a, a huge, huge performance by that defense. Reggie Stubblefield was all over the place as well. And you can go through that list. Darnell Sankey with an interception. We talked about him. Tyrese Beverett, five tackles as well. There are a lot of outstanding players on that Alouette's defense. And if they are going to pull off the up- upset this week coming up, that's where it's going to be won is these defensive Stars need to shine. Sean Lemon also had the call, like sort of like Babe Ruth's call shot, where he said, I'd get them both, and he did. He sacked both Matthew Schiltz and Bo Levi Mitchell in this football game. Not many guys can lay claim to that. The Alouettes, with the win, of course, now go on to face the Toronto Argonauts. They're, as we'll get into it in third down, the Alouettes are not favored in this game. Moving to the later game in British Columbia, where they opened the upper deck and had over 30,000 people to watch this game, and they went away happy, despite the fact that the Stampeders go down the field in three plays and score on their opening drive. Nothing much else goes right, and the Lions pick them apart and win 41-30, to the score flattering the Stampeders. It, it does. Vernon Adams... He is a a Jekyll and Hyde quarterback. He was spot on in this game. One of the best performances I've seen from Vernon Adams. 413 yards passing, 28 of 39, two touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns as well. So this was near perfect performance from Vernon Adams and exactly what they needed to right the ship after the loss a couple weeks ago against the Calgary Stampeders. This was a, a huge performance and bodes well for for the uh, for the Lions moving forward in the playoffs. 
One of the things that we talked about was Calgary needed to be able to run the ball against the BC Lions. Well, Kadeem Carey didn't have a bad day, 14 carries for 75 yards, but that was it. Nobody else did anything with the ball. Vernon Adams Jr. did use his legs more than we've seen in a long time to rush for 54 yards to add to Taekwon Mazel's 28 yards. Lions themselves come away with 82, five more than the Stampeders. If Calgary was going to win that football game, they had to win it in the trenches. They had to be able to run. This was in part getting down early. They they had the perfect start, a three-play touchdown drive to jump out to a 7 nothing lead. The Lions came back with two touchdowns in the first quarter to take a 14-7 to lead. From there, Calgary's trying, trying to play catch-up. Oftentimes, when a team is in that situation, they tend to shy away from the running game. And I think that cost the Stampeders. I think they got into panic mode a bit too early and didn't continue to build off of the positive gains that Kadeem Carey was making. You look at Jake Mayer's numbers, 23 of 34 for 304 yards, two touchdown passes, but he did have two interceptions. Relatively speaking, he had a decent stat day, but when you look at it, a lot of it came in the fourth quarter when they were so far down they had nothing to do but chuck the ball and hope for the best. And again, failing to get the ball in the end zone. Rene Paredes had a, a busy day kicking field goals, but when you're playing from behind, you need to turn those into sevens and not just threes. For Calgary, that ends their season for the BC Lions. It's a rematch against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the West Final. Everything has played out as it did in 2022. Every matchup every victor so far has gone exactly the way 2022 went it might just be a repeat of of that season there's a pretty good chance the the two home teams are favorites this week coming up again so we could see a a, a Greek cup rematch and if we do the toronto team the defending champions have had one of the best regular seasons in cfl history so you'd have to have them anointed as the favorite going into the Grey cup Pair of games on Saturday in the Canadian Football League, the East and West Finals. The Montreal Alouettes head to Toronto to take on the Argonauts in the East Final, the BC Lions in Winnipeg later that afternoon to take on the Blue Bombers in the West Final. Toronto open at 10.5 points. Justified, can the Alouettes do what the 89 Rough Riders did to Edmonton and take down a 16-2 and team? I think the the spread is justified given what the Argonauts have done this year. Again, to to hammer home where we're at this season, Montreal has only lost to Toronto, Winnipeg, and BC this year. They have beat everybody else. The only other teams still standing in the playoffs are Toronto, BC, and Winnipeg. So this is... The Argonauts' chance to prove that they are in that upper echelon and, and that the Alouettes are a level below. For the Alouettes, they need to come in here and prove that they can hang with these top three teams. That Alouettes' defense has to have one of their best games of the season to give them a chance. We know Cody Fajardo in that Alouettes' offense isn't likely to put 40 points on the board. 
the Argonauts are quite capable of doing that. So this one is going to really be a key game for that Alouette's defense. I do think that this is my my upset of the playoffs. I think that Alouette's defense is going to come up big and it's going to be a, a shocker and it's going to be a, about a 27-24 game for the Alouettes. Upset, eh? Hmm. The Alouettes are capable. They're 11 and 7. This is not a 9 and 9 Rough Rider team that went into Edmonton in 1989. The Alouettes are literally the median. Can't beat what's above them, can't lose to what's below them. Something's got to give. No team with a 16 win season has ever made a Grey Cup. Toronto hasn't lost to an East Division opponent, Toronto hasn't lost at home. The Alouettes played Toronto tough in Montreal, but got beat up in Toronto. And I don't know if it would be as gargantuan an upset as maybe the 1989 game was. Can Montreal do it? With 11 wins, can you beat a 16-win team in their park? The hindsight of all of this is that Toronto is aware of what happened to Edmonton in 1989. Edmonton, nobody had gone through this prior to what ha- to that night when Saskatchewan beat them 32-21. to 21. They've been playing with this lead for a long, long time. If any team is ready, I think it's the Argonauts. The question is, what does Montreal bring to the table? It's a vaunted defense against the best offensive line in the league. The Argonauts only gave up 19 sacks all season. Part of that was the offensive line. Part of that is the quick release of Chad Kelly as well. So this one, as I said, is, is going to really depend on what that Alouette's defense is able to do against the Argonauts offense. I, I don't see the Alouette's putting up huge offensive numbers, but again, if Cody Fajardo manages that offense well, is efficient enough, and that they do score when given the opportunities, they've got a chance to hang with the with the Argonauts. I maybe sound like I'm jumping on the Alouette's bandwagon a little bit, and Cody Fajardo doesn't want me on there in, in any part based on his comments last week. So I have to be careful how I word this, but I, I do think the Alouettes are capable of scoring the upset. Cody Fajardo has played 60 football games as a starter in the Canadian football league. Chad Kelly, 17. This is a huge difference in terms of playoff experience. Now, having said that, of course, Chad Kelly went in the fourth quarter and rallied the Argonauts to the lead and then subsequent defensive plays kept them in front, and they won the Grey Cup. But Chad Kelly technically is little more than a rookie in all of this. And at the beginning of the season, there was some question as to who in Toronto was going to be their starting quarterback, but the thought was that Chad Kelly would get the first chance. Well, he ran with it. The question is now, with all the pressure on, there's going to be a big crowd in Toronto to watch this game. How does he react? Cody Fajardo has at least been through this before. He's been through two West Finals, where Saskatchewan came close and lost in the last minute. Chad Kelly has just got that smaller sample size. Now, he may have Andrew Harris in the backfield, which is a huge get if the Argonauts have him to play. That helps your ratio, that changes your blocking assignments. You know Andrew Harris is one of the best pass protectors out there. He is, and I think there's a little bit of a nerve factor for Chad Kelly as the starting quarterback. As you mentioned, he came in in relief in the Grey Cup, didn't really have much time to think about it. 
now he's been that number one guy all season and this is going to be the biggest game of his professional career how does he react the the good thing for him is it's a home game he has to come out and perform as he has all season he just he can't change what he's done the the success of the argonauts is that they have been consistent all year he needs to play within himself and not try to do too much if the alouettes can rattle the argonauts early and this is always the key when you're the road team if you can rattle them early you have a chance because then confidence may be a question mark going into the second half how does a team respond and chad kelly to be fair is a great quarterback here we go again you've got to prove it when everything is on the line cody fajardo is getting there in terms of that quarterback that you can trust in the big game. This is going to be fascinating. The 10 and a half, oh, it's, it's such a killer because it's such a big number in a playoff game especially. The Argos have been off for two weeks. The Alouettes played the Ticats two weeks straight. Does that give you false uh, promise because the Alouettes played a team that was weaker than them and made them look better? It's hard to know. I'm leaning towards... Toronto, but not the cover. The second game is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers hosting the BC Lions. And Winnipeg is four and a half point favorites, which is a little bit low considering how well Winnipeg has played down the stretch. They have played well down the stretch. They've played well at home, losing only one game. But it was a decisive loss to the BC Lions at home early in the season. The biggest concern for the Bombers right now has to be health at the receiver position. Dalton Schoen has missed several weeks. It's unlikely that he's going to play this week unless they have really been shielding his recovery. Rashid Bailey and Nick Dembski both are a bit dinged up, didn't practice a lot this week. They were running on the sidelines but not participating in full practice today. That signing of Markeith Ambles might be a huge pickup for them. He's going to give them another weapon to go alongside Drew Wolitarski and Kenny Lawler, Braden O'Leary Orange, if those other guys aren't able to go. I fully suspect Dembski and Bailey will play. To what extent, I don't know. That's what's factoring into this four and a half point spread, in my opinion. I think if everybody was healthy for the Bombers, they would be boosting that number a little bit more. Playoff football. Colder weather, an outdoor game in Winnipeg. Expect to see Brady Oliveira get a lot of work in this one as well. I like the Bombers at home, and I'm going to take them to cover the spread. Vernon Adams Jr. had a fantastic game last week. I don't know if he can carry that through to a second consecutive game. If he does, there's a chance at the upset. But if he is the Vernon Adams that's a little bit more mistake-prone, that Bombers defense can jump all over him in a hurry as well. Let's not forget that Winnipeg crowd and how loud they can get. The The design elements in that building, the way the roof is scalloped, really drives the sound onto the field. And acoustically, that's going to be a nightmare for the BC Lions. And I think that's why a lot of teams in Winnipeg struggle, because they just can't get their plays called. It's the third straight year that the East and West Final Ring are being played in the same sites. And that's the first time ever this has happened in the CFL. We could have a Grey Cup rematch. We're not that far along from that. 
in the East and the West, the home teams have won seven of the last eight. So it's not a great place to be if you're the second place team. However, the games are played on that turf and nowhere else. Winnipeg, I don't worry about unless Zach Kolaris starts the game and struggles. Because that's the one knock I do have against him is when things go wrong, they can go calamitously wrong. The Lions can do that to you, but there's the rub. What are the Lions going to do? We see them feast and famine. They either win by 30 or lose by 30. And this is why I think Brady Oliveira is going to be a huge component in this game. That BC Lions pass rush is one of the best in the leagues, but against the run, they're vulnerable. They're a little bit undersized as a defensive line against that Winnipeg offensive line. And I talked about the Argonauts being the, the best offensive line in the CFL. Winnipeg is not far behind them. They've got some veteran guys. They love to run the ball. Once Brady Oliveira gets a couple of big carries, they seem to pick up that momentum and just drive those defensive lines back. So Claris might not have to do everything with his arm if they can establish that run. He's got some possession receivers to keep drives alive. And if Brady Oliveira can break through a couple of times and get some big gains, that's where their points are going to come from. Bombers haven't lost at home since Baltimore beat them in 1994. Yes, to our American friends, there were American teams in the league for a few years. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say that the BC Lions actually show up with their A game and do defeat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but it's going to take everything out of them. And if Zach Kolaris is on, the Lions don't have a chance. So we're both picking an upset, but not in the same game. This is going to be a fun weekend to watch. Hey, it's Canadian football. It's always a fun weekend when it's on. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.